Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Upholding County Judge revived hopes of a family searching for answers in a 1960 murder today. The judge approved the request of Nancy Eagleson's family to exhume her body to search for DNA evidence. Eagleson was 14 years old when she was abducted while walking home with her sister Cheryl from the movies on November 13, 1960. Her body was found early the next day and no one has ever been charged. The family believes there may be some DNA on the body or inside the coffin. Cheryl says she hopes this is the first step in getting long awaited answers. I always ask myself, you know, why didn't you take me? Why didn't you take me too? You know, um, and I was left behind, but I think I was left behind for a reason now. As I said, I have a, a nice, beautiful family and that, that's why. And I can't keep asking why. So, but I'm just so happy uh, that, that we get this, uh, got this yes, so we can kind of maybe put an answer to some of our questions. The family has 75 days to have the body exhumed. We'll continue to follow this story for you. Hello and welcome to the 200th episode of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast production. This week, we will be concluding my episode with Nick about the Nancy Eagleson case and the Porchlight Project that he's been involved with in getting the exhumation of her body, potentially in October, for new DNA evidence. So join me as we wrap up our conversation for episode 200. Thank you so much to everyone who has helped me get to this point. I wouldn't be here without the listeners, first and foremost, but to my mentor, Nick, thank you very much captain you've been very helpful as well and to all the people in my life that have put up with all my talk about serial killers and true crime apologies but join me for this monumental episode and the conclusion to the nancy eagleson case enjoy and the great debate with inside of that small town is you got about 50 percent of the population that say you know what? This was a local. We think it was, we, not only do we think it was a local, we got a handful of people that we're a little suspicious of that we think killed Nancy Eagleson and, and managed to get away with it for all these years. Then you talk to the other half of the town had to be somebody from out of, out of town had to be somebody that was either just driving through or trolling in the area and nobody from Paulding would have done this or, a great argument for it being somebody outside of the area is Cheryl would have been able to identify a person if she knew him at some point in her life. This was 62 years ago. Yeah. Cheryl still lives in Paulding. She's a big part of the community there. And so this is one of those cases that's, super intriguing on that level but again i'm telling you man there there is reason to believe both i through the course of my investigation and through the course of putting together a story for true crime garage on this case i caught myself falling on both sides of that fence over and over again i i can see plenty of reasons why it may have been a local i could see plenty of reasons why it may have been some type of serial offender there were a couple of guys some really bad dudes that were roaming in the in that general area in that general time frame that were appear to be abducting females at at random and assaulting them and some of them ending up dead um there are at least two that that come to mind and but what was interesting bill was that we we get the polling right and so porchlight goes out there first this just to interview the family and to interview uh, the sheriff's department uh collecting information for a story that we can we can again our only idea at the time was to put renewed media interest and in, and in bring it back into the media and 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 put a little spotlight on this case that was really the only good that we thought we could do at the time porchlight meets with the family. I wasn't present for that first meeting. And the family says, 
we want to exhume Nancy Eagleson. We want to exhume her body. We believe that there's evidence that can be found that we can do with today's technology that we couldn't do with 1960 technology that could help solve her case. And of course, Porchlight agreed, right? We've seen it work in, in several cases. Mm -hmm. What's the probability on it? I hate to speculate. There's days that I feel like it's a shot in the dark. There's days that I feel like that I'm very confident that, that we're going to find something. But at the time, it was that's not the discussion. The, at the time is... The discussion is Porchlight saying, do we get involved in this? And this is the help that they want. Do we get involved and try to help exhume Nancy's body so that we can try to do modern day detection work and forensic detection work on, on this situation? And seeing how passionate the sisters were, seeing how passionate the, the community still is, and the sheriff's department as well, it seemed like a no-brainer. Okay, we're going to help do with this. Now, it's not. This is not a, a cheap thing to do, right? We. we I, one thing that that I've been asked on on these interviews that I've done is, well, how much does this cost? And to me, and gr these are all great news outlets. I, I don't have anything against them. They're doing great work. That question to me was so damn annoying. And, and there, there were people that, that wouldn't give up on it. I go, look, I don't, I, I try to politely say, look, I don't have those numbers in front of me it, it, because it's not about what it cost at the end of the day. It's how do we raise those funds and how do we appropriate them to get this work done and to help the family and help potentially solve this case. But also makes it sound so, like it could, if you did answer that question with a specific number then they could turn around and they could be like, well, they're not willing to spend this much money on on this, you know, to solve a 62 year old case. You know, they could spin it any way they want to in a negative way. Right. And no, you're better yes. off to just do what you're doing and keep that close to the vest. Because, again, at the end of the day, they're just looking for another angle. And if the angle is, oh, it's so-and-so amount of money to exhume a body to get DNA, then, well, how come they can't afford it in their budget or whatever? And that's where I think that well, that is line of questioning is going. You're exactly right. I, I believe that to be the case. Uh, I also wondered, too, if if somebody were to put in an exact dollar amount on it. Look, we did, there were several fundraisers that took place to raise money to for this for this initiative. And I didn't want anybody to come out and, and try to do some gotcha journalism where they're saying, oh, Nick from True Crime Garage, who's also on the board of Porchlight, said it was going to be $9,000, and yet the fundraisers raised ten. Well, where did that extra $1,000 go? You know, I didn't want to sit here being having that discussion because here's the deal, people. When we talk about Porchlight, we are fundraising for every case that we can get involved in, not just Nancy's case. But right now we're working very diligently on Nancy's case. So any money that we raise, if you tell us that it's specifically for Nancy's case, boom, it goes straight to her case. Just a, a general donation that, that doesn't state, hey, send this to the Nancy case. We're going to use it for Nancy's case, and if there's any leftover money, it will go to the next case that we pick up. It's not going in anybody's pockets from Porchlight. I promise you that. I've been to the meetings. I've not even been refunded for parking yet. So that that's something we don't have to worry about. The other thing, too, is some of the funds that have been raised, and a good amount of the funds that have been raised for Nancy's exhumation, and the lab work and the genealogy detection work that's going to have to be done in this case have been raised by Nancy's family. God bless them. They've been out working this thing and raising some money as well. And so when we try to put a dollar amount on something, I have, I've had to remind the reporters it's very difficult to do so. So I can tell you roughly what the exhumation will cost. The problem is we do not know what we're going to find. And what we find will determine on how much other endeavors will cost, right? If we open, if we, if we exhume the body and there's nothing there to test, 
then that's the end of it. That's the end of the cost. That's the end of the efforts. If we get in there and there's a plethora of evidence, well, then it could get rather costly because we're going to test every bit of evidence that we find in there. So Porchlight has teamed up with Western Michigan University. I'm sure you probably heard of them. They're, they're uh, I've, rather I've well known. I've cross-country race there when I ran for OU. Yeah. There you go. And so we've teamed up with them, and they are going to be conducting – they're going to be there for the exhumation process. This is – this is something, again, like I said, it's community all coming together, everybody working together to solve Nancy's case, find justice for the Eagleson family, find justice for the community of Paulding. Because as we've discussed on your show, and I say this all the time in the garage on True Crime Garage, when you abduct and murder a child, that is a crime against the whole entire community. That is the worst thing that can be done. And that is a crime against the community. And what I love about the community of Paulding is they are standing up arm to arm, arm and arm together, 62 years later, still all this time and saying, this does not happen here. This does not happen in Paulding. You can't come to our town or you can't grow up in our town and take one of ours away from us and get away with it. We, we will work her case forever. We will keep working her case. So this is a case where, Sheriff's office will have people, members from their staff, the appropriate members from their staff at the exhumation so that we will oversee the, the chain of custody of, of any of this evidence that we find. This is, this is taking a lot of people working together to hopefully we find something when this exhumation takes place, which we're hoping for October. Why are we hoping for October? Because a judge granted us permission to move forward with this process which was a little shocking and surprising to me that you needed to get a judge to sign off on it. When you have the, the family who's, who's really hoping and praying that this happens, this is their last, their last shot at justice. Yeah. Unless, unless somebody comes in off of the streets and just pours their guts out and spills the beans and tells the sheriff what they did 62 years ago, this is the last shot. And what's so fascinating to me is we talked about there's a few people in the public that, that have been looked at over the years. We've talked about uh, some people from just outside of the area that have been looked at over the years. And there's been a few different sheriff regimes since 1960. And different regimes had different opinions on who was responsible or who was likely responsible for Nancy's abduction and murder. And the current day... Sheriff's Department, which I I think they're probably the most dialed in to the way that these types of crimes work and and certainly have more awareness of these types of crimes. 1960, stranger abduction, murder, we didn't know a whole lot about that back then. We didn't know the 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 workings of the criminal mind back then or that type of criminal back then. And today we do. And that's reflected by the sheriff's department and their, their view and opinion on the case is right down the middle. They like me see reasons that they can connect a couple locals to this. They like me see reasons that they could connect a couple of serial offenders from just outside of the area that were operating at that time uh, to this. Now, so there, there are some, some likely suspects, but like in Barbie Blatnick's case, we could find evidence that points us to somebody that, that's name never appeared in the case file at all. We don't know what we're going to find. You don't know what you're going to find until you start shaking those trees and see what falls out or start turning over those rocks and see what's underneath. Them. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, something you brought up a few minutes ago. And that was <clears throat> when we first started talking about the possibility of it being somebody who was either you know coming in from out of town and committing this crime or being a local and you had mentioned that there were uh, multiple serial offenders within that northwestern Ohio um, area like who exactly are you referring to I mean have these people been caught or have these people um, you know been involved with other cases what's the deal with those guys 
So let me shuffle through my my papers here and see if I can find some names for you um, because it's been a couple weeks since I've looked into the details about the actual suspect. So the Robert Lee, so about- the Robert Lee guy, he was pretty much just bam bam gone from the storyline from the beginning. You know, like he they connected him and then they. You said he went. Now this is interesting, and I'm going to say this because this was the time in the period of time that you could do that. And that was put somebody in a mental health uh, facility under, you know, confinement. You could confine somebody to a, a facility. So, you know, if, if this particular character um, was involved, you know, possibly him going back into a hospital could have possibly protected him um, from being questioned any further about, uh, or it would have been, it could have been one of those like uh, Elliot Ness type handshake deals that sort of ended the torso killers reign. But um, you know, anyway, uh, that's yeah. Stovall's Stovall's dis. He's difficult. He's a really big difficult part of this story, right? Because who knows? Is it possible that he is responsible for one or both of these? It is possible. We don't know what made them move on from him. It's not clear. It wasn't really reported in the papers. And as far as I could find, and I couldn't find anything in, uh, I, I was, I was allowed to review portions of Nancy's case file, um, which isn't always the case, obviously on true crime garage and cases that we cover. But in this case I was. And so I was privy to some information that the general public has not been privy to over the years i couldn't find anything in anything that i reviewed that is public or private that that told me exactly why they moved on from stovall now part of that at least in you know basing this off of other cases that i've reviewed over the years my speculation on why stovall may be no longer in consideration or more importantly, I think we say further down the line, you know, you, you prioritize suspects and I would put the priority level on Stovall probably pretty high in Gloria's case in the Illinois case, Nancy's case a little low because the problem with, with Stovall is you, we can't put him in Paulding County. We can't put him in Paulding village that night. It's much more reasonable to believe that he may have been in uh, the area where Gloria was was taken. So it gets it gets difficult with him um, uh, to to put him in Paulding. So that's a little weird. I'm sure that they they found something. There must have been something to get him. He, he's again never been cleared, as far as I know. But also he disappears from speculation rather quickly in this case. Yeah, he's, he's kind of off the suspect list. Exactly. So the case up in Michigan that I was talking about, while we have Sheriff Keeler who was in contact with the jurisdiction up there, that is because it was a similar type victim who was abducted walking home, I believe, from either school or getting off of the school bus, who was abducted. That case was solved a few months later. They they found the perpetrator who ultimately confessed to it, and they got a conviction in that case. So that one uh, goes away because it was an individual that would not have been in Paulding County. It was a farmhand. That, that had seen the girl walking home, abducted her, and there's no reason to believe that he had anything to do with Nancy's case. Now, in Nancy's case, when we talk about some of the the these local bad guys that that might be tied into it, Thomas Ball is is an interesting individual. And then uh, I'll gu- I'll give you one uh, two here that the, his name's Virgil. So let's discuss Virgil quickly Usual because suspects. I, I, right. And I, and I'm going to try to refrain from using Virgil's full name because sure. there it publicly, he has been 
let's put air quotes up here, cleared in Nancy's case. I I don't know. I wouldn't have personally have cleared him if it, if it were my case, but again, nobody's paying me 10 cents to solve their crime. I remember I do it for free for nonprofit. Um, he was cleared off of a polygraph test. So Virgil, he owns the restaurant that the girl stopped off at to have sodas. And what happens here with him is this is weeks after the crime. So the whole town is a buzz about this, this murder. Right. And, and really the longer that they don't have any suspects, the more suspicious all the people in town are getting. We've all seen the movie Frankenstein where the, where the, the villagers all band together and they, they got torches and they go looking for the monster. That's kind of what's happening here on some level in Paulding. Right. So Virgil starts hearing these rumors that a local businessman is the person that's responsible for killing Nancy Eagleson. And he realizes a couple days later that those rumors about town are about him. He's the businessman that people were talking about, that he's the, the, the suspect, the public suspect, number one here. And that is because there was some blood that was found in his vehicle around the same time that Nancy was killed. How did they come across finding this? I believe somebody reported it. Um, Somebody that knew Virgil reported it. You know, this was again, community. Anybody that saw anything suspicious at all where they were calling in tips left and right. Right. So Virgil says he's got a, He's got an explanation for why there would be blood in the back seat of his vehicle. Some people will tell you that's because maybe he killed Nancy Eagleson in the back seat of that vehicle. Virgil will tell you it's because he was transporting meat to his restaurant, which also makes sense and probably was something that he did fairly regularly, I would guess. And that he got blood from the meat on the, the, uh, the seat there. Now, 1960, I'm guessing the technology would be fine to have done so, but the vehicle was cleaned before before it, it was could be tested or looked at by the sheriff's department. Really? Which s- sounds suspicious, right? But if I had blood on my seat from transporting meat, I would clean it too. Like, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, let's be... A, I'm not just going to let it well, sit there. <laughs> well, I'm, first of all, not going to put myself in a position where... Blood is going to get onto my seat of my car, but this was 1960 packaging back then was not that type of, you know, it was probably paper back then. So, yeah, I could imagine uh, blood seeping through whatever wrapping that he had. But, yes, I would clean that instantly because it would stink and uh, smell like death. And again, we don't know the full set of circumstances here. Was this was this something that he was regularly used to cleaning, you know? small amounts of blood from meat out of his vehicle after transportation in transporting this product to his restaurant? Or was this something that was just a, an accident or like you said, may have not been packaged properly. You know, there's any set of circumstances. And there probably was vinyl seating back then anyway. I mean, it probably wasn't even cloth. Exactly. And be that as it may, Regardless of the circumstances, well, enough people in the town believe that he probably, probably killed Nancy Eagleson. So there's not just this, uh, there's not just the suspicion on him. It's to the point where the villagers have already rounded up and banded together and they've lit the torches and they've gone looking for the monster. And guess what? Virgil is their monster. And he catches wind of this. He contacts Keeler, Sheriff Keeler, and says, look, I didn't kill Nancy Eagleson. He knew who she was. Everybody in town knew who everybody was. I didn't kill Nancy Eagleson. These people think that I killed her. And the sheriff says, I'm going to come and arrest you. <laughs> and maybe, maybe arrest is not the right word, but I'm going to put you in my custody because if I don't, these people are going to kill you. 
They were going to string him up in, in, in town square. <sighs> they were ready to judge jury executioner style this dude right there in the middle of town. And so Sheriff Keeler says, I have to come and pick you up because if I don't get to you first, these if they get to you first, they're going to kill you. So he he puts, to keep Virgil safe, he puts him in the jail and then it puts in the right steps to polygraph Virgil. Virgil passes this polygraph and the sheriff comes out and publicly clears Virgil. Now, you and I know, Bill, that likely most jurisdictions today in 2022 would not publicly clear an individual because they passed a polygraph test. There are still jurisdictions that do, um, but many that won't to this day. And I'm actually not going to fault Keeler. I, I think that that, I think that's a little bad for business. I wouldn't run my investigations that way. And there were other suspects that were cleared in, in the Eagleson case based off of passing polygraph test. So I wouldn't have conducted my investigation that way. However, in the Virgil situation where this guy, any suspicion that remains on him, you're risking physical harm or death to this guy. You have to come out and say, look, we, we, we talked to him. We investigated him. We looked at the car. We looked at his house. Uh, we gave him a polygraph test. We can't find anything to connect him to the Eagleson case. He passed the polygraph. He's publicly cleared. I think in this situation, you have to like every, every case is different. Every case is unique. Every suspect is unique. Every situation is unique and you must treat them as such. And so in this case, I would have for, it's your job to protect and serve your community. Part of your protection is protecting everybody in that community. Nobody wants to see Virgil strung up to a tree, you know, outside of Paulding. And so the sheriff had to do that in this case. Sure. I mean, we've seen it in, you know, cases in the early, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, the KKK, you know, the somebody in the South arrests a black man for something. I mean, it was very possible that the door of the jail would just be coincidentally unlocked and uh, that person would be uh, taken from the jail. And yeah, just like you said, um, lynched and uh, it's awful. And a uh, good thing that uh, Sheriff Keeler had the wherewithal to do that. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, like you said, it, it, it did him, it did Virgil a service cause it cleared him from, from the public's perspe perspective, but, did it really at the, you know, at the end of the day? Um, I mean, back then I'm sure they all believed it because there wasn't such thing as junk science back then. So a polygraph was probably pretty reliable to these, to these people. And that's not to say that they're, you know, there's anything, the technology just was, that was pretty much the advanced technology that was there for investigations and for interrogations. So if they pass the polygraph, well, to the general public, that's a clear sign that they had no involvement because they don't know, you know, they don't know any better. Well, and, and to kind of double down on a lot of what you're saying there is when we, when we look at this case, think of 1960 and these smaller communities, these smaller, less populous uh, counties, the sheriff is damn near King in some of these places. And, and so his or her word is, it's almost gospel, right? And so the sheriff who who everybody knows in the county of Paulding comes out and says, this man didn't do it. He's been, our, my office and me personally have looked into this dude and investigated this guy and we've cleared him. Well, that that is a, a pretty firm, firm answer and, and most people are going to uh, believe. You know, he's an elected that. official. So, so, I mean, I think people do believe what they're told to a degree, you know, not counting what's going on yep. today. The other two individuals that are interesting to me, if we were going to go outside of Paulding, look, maybe we'll circle back into to one that's still in Paulding. That's interesting to me, but, um, that, well, I'll tell you what, let's just kind of, we're going to, we'll just briefly discuss okay. this here. Because I, I I don't feel comfortable going into too much detail on somebody information with yes with with somebody that could be perfectly sure. innocent. Uh, there is a, a man who 
still resides in the greater Paulding County area to this day. And he, in my opinion, would make a good suspect. He is somebody that came forward years later who has said that he believed that he was an additional witness to the abduction. And he did, he says that he reported it the day after the abduction. He reported it to the sheriff's department. Sheriff Keeler's no longer around to tell us if that part of this man's story is true, right? Because why am I suspicious? Because if this man did not report anything back in 1960 and then decades later says that he witnessed it, well, then I start to wonder, is he injecting himself in the case, in the investigation, because he wants to know what they know, what, what law enforcement knows. Therefore, if, if he is doing that, then he would be my suspect number one, by far. There would be a significant drop off from him to the rest of these suspects. Yeah, anybody who puts them involved, you know, wants to get involved in the investigation or put them in front and center involved, you know, they're always somebody that you need to be questionable about. The portion of the case file that I reviewed does not show a report from this man the day after the murder was committed. That doesn't mean that it didn't exist. Again, we have missing physical evidence in this case. So is it, it, does, it that means it's not impossible that a single piece of paper report is missing from the file. And I've not seen the entire file, so it could still be in there. And again, Sheriff Keeler's not around to tell us if his office took that report or not. So that's one of those things that it hinges on the unknown. If this dude did report this, what he witnessed the day after the murder, I'm not, I wouldn't be suspicious of him. I would put him very low, very, very low on the priority list. If he did, didn't report this back then and then reported it decades later again a number one suspect for me and significant drop off to everybody else so because it hinges on the unknown i think we need to kind of move off of him rather quickly bill and we can discuss some of these out of towners yeah sure let's hear it so there were at least two pretty bad men that were operating in the area at the time there was a man named Mark Hodges who did not live in Paulding, but he was suspected of and convicted in at least one case of similar types of crimes where random females that he came in contact with were assaulted or abducted or killed or all three. So when we say suspected of, in a couple of cases, Bill, he's suspected of so much so that he, they take him. To, he's arrested and taken to court. They just couldn't get convictions in those cases. They do finally get a conviction in one case. Now, in one case that he was suspected of, uh, and I, I again, I should say, I'm going to say suspected of in, in all these cases because I, I, I'm a little uncertain. I don't have it in my notes in front of me. I got a file on Nancy Eagleson like you wouldn't believe it. it looks like a. Looks looks like a Tom Clancy novel. It's so <laughs> thick. Uh, so to spare your listeners, me shuffling through a b- whole bunch of papers here. Uh, one of the crimes that he was suspected of, it goes down like this. We have a young woman, um, maybe even teenage girl. She's riding her bike on a rural street, on a rural road. That's always a fun two words to say together. Rural road. People are making fun of us or laughing at us right now, Bill, but try talking for a living. It does. It seems easy, especially when you take it. It's and not you look at the easy. words and then you start to think about the words and then they oh, they just start to. Yeah, I've had days where I have like can't pronounce a normal word and I've like just lost my brain. I don't know. Well, and keep in mind, I'm born and raised in Ohio, and uh, part of my uh, family tree comes from uh, the South. So I got a certain percentage of hillbilly in me that I'm rather proud of, and so I don't mind uh, screwing up these words and sentences for y'all. But um, so she's riding her bike on a rural road, and this is this is 
as terrifying as Nancy's case. A vehicle strikes her on her bike. This is not an accident. This is with the purpose of abducting her. Hits the girl on her bike, knocks her into a ditch. She's assaulted in the ditch. And I believe in this case, the, the victim lived. I can't remember. Again, I don't have my notes in front of me, but Mark Hodges is suspected of several of these types of crimes. Some of the victims survived. Some of them didn't. And again, they get convictions in some of his cases and acquittals in some of the cases. But he finds himself in court a lot. And you know what? Sometimes when when there's smoke, there's fire. But guess what? Almost always when there's a lot of smoke, there is fire, my friend. And I believe Mark Hodges is probably guilty of a lot of crimes that we are unaware of that he's never been connected to. This type, to me, he reminds me of a... Kenneth McDuff or, you know, any, any one of these serial killers that you think of that are trolling around, just looking for random opportunities to abduct and kill. That's what I believe Mark Hodges was up to. Now, how many times he was successful? I don't know. I cannot say with any level of certainty how successful he was in what he was attempting to do, but state of Ohio considers him to be a bad man. Nick from True Crime Garage seems believes him to be a horrible man. Uh, and the Paulding County Sheriff's Department believes him to be a terrible man as well. In fact, Sheriff Keeler has said that he believed that Mark Hodges killed Nancy Eagleson. Now, how much was he basing that off of evidence? I don't know. Was it just a gut feeling because he sees this guy that's committing similar acts in the greater area? That's probably the case. Um does he fit the the suspect composite? Somewhat. Um, but there's another individual that we should talk about, and his name is Thomas Ball. So Thomas Ball is rather interesting because he is suspected of a uh, an assault and rape in a, a nearby county, near to Paulding County, at the roughly within a year or so of the Eagleson abduction and murder. He, I can't remember if he's, I don't believe he was ever tried for that. If he was tried, he was either acquitted or didn't spend much time in prison because he finds himself up in Michigan, not terribly long after this. And in Michigan, he stabs to death a woman that he brought into his motel room one night. Well, they quickly pick him up on that case and he gets convicted in that murder up in Michigan. Okay. Well, he's locked up for several years and he manages to escape from the authorities in that, that institute in Michigan. He lives 30 years on the lam down in Tennessee under an assumed name. And he gets picked up down in Tennessee all these years later. And they send him, they take him right back to, to prison in, in uh, Michigan. Great 30 years in the lam. He to, yeah, he, he looks to me like the profile suspect composite sketch. He looks very much like the the suspect composite sketch to me, the profile picture anyway, to be honest with you, Bill, one thing that's crazy about this case too, you look at the, you look at the composite sketch and then you look at the profile composite sketch Mm -hmm. in this case, to me, they actually look like different people. Like I would never put that profile picture with the other picture and go, yeah, that's the same guy. Based off of Cheryl's. Um, um, That's not information that I care to discuss uh i i again this is this is a cold case it's a very open investigation sheriff jason landers is is very open about that and and has said so publicly many times that this case is is very open and his department is uh invested in this case and 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 anytime a lead comes in they're going to work it 
But not only is it a cold case, this is a case that is heating up rather quickly because of all the people in the community, all these different organizations coming together, working together on this case, and what could be additional evidence by way of the exhumation that's going to happen. It could be just a matter of a couple weeks before we are faced with new evidence in Nancy's case. So I do not want to create any problems for the investigation right for for the actual because it's not going to be porchlight is assisting the eagleson family porchlight is assisting the paulding county sheriff's office you're not running the investigation we are not the detectives no. that will we we are not the guys or or the the women that will be placing handcuffs on somebody when we have this new evidence so i do not want to booger up their jobs, right? I'm I'm in the uh, business of making nice with these individuals, not getting in their way. So we won't we won't release any information as far as that is concerned. I only to say though, Bill, that Thomas Ball is he capable of this kind of crime? Absolutely. Does he look like the profile composite sketch? To me, he does. The composite sketch profile picture looks like a younger version of Thomas Ball. Does that mean he's guilty? No. No, it doesn't. Um, I think Mark Hodges is very good for this murder. I think Thomas Ball could be good for this murder. I also think that there are at least two local individuals that I am highly suspicious of. And again, one of them still living in that, residing in that near the village of Paulding and the other one in the greater Paulding County area. So I, there, there, there is meat on the bone here uh, in this investigation. There are suspects that uh, are under consideration and at least three of the people that I know to be suspects are still alive. So this is not just a matter of, Oh, some dead guy did this, which it could be when we find this evidence, but it all co it also could be, you know what? We found you. We know who you are. We know what you did, even if it was 62 years ago. And the other thing too, it's not inconceivable to believe that Nancy's case is a standalone case that the perpetrator of this, that it's the only murder or only crime like this that they committed. That's certainly a possibility. Nancy Eagleson's case could also be one of a series of similar types of crimes or murders. That's certainly a possibility as well. But either way, I believe, especially if it was uh, somebody that grew up or lived in Paulding Village or just outside of Paulding, Paulding Village, I believe somebody out there knows something. I believe somebody knows they, they saw something that night. They've been told something over the years. Maybe there's a story about a gun. A gun was used in this case. Um, there, the, this is one of those cases that sadly and very frighteningly, it reminds me of some kind of folklore Halloween story. It does have that sort of uh, feel to it. Yes. Teenager walking home in the dark, little sister witnesses the abduction, and God, perfect, damn, my heart breaks. Perfect for example. Can you imagine? I mean, yeah, what you would not want to happen. I can't imagine Cheryl's position. No, I mean, she was five when this happened. You and I, five. We talk five. about we talk about victims, surviving Ugh. victims all the time, and our heart breaks for each and every one of them. But I, but then double down on that heartbreak. Can you imagine witnessing, witnessing and not being able to do anything to stop what You're is happening? Five. She's five. She's a little girl. She's a child. I, Nancy was a child herself at 14, but, but five is, like, I mean, it's the, like a toddler. I mean, just, uh, it breaks my heart because I'm sure there's, I'm sure Cheryl struggles with some guilt would be my guess. Um, I, I'm sure that, my other guess would be that I could not imagine the hopelessness that I would feel had I witnessed that as a child and then lived with it for 62 years. So if look, 
do we want to get this case done and get justice for Nancy Eagleson? Absolutely, 100%. But you know what? Where I stand today, I want to get justice for Cheryl. I want to I want to get Cheryl the answers she deserves. I want her to have some form of closure. You know, you review stories like fairy tales. We're all kind of told these fairy tales, little red riding hood and such. And you know, the, the, the girl is taken away and the, the woodsman cuts open the wolf and, and the, the little girl reappears and comes back. That's not going to happen in Nancy's case. We solved this case. Doesn't matter. Nancy's not coming back. We're not getting Nancy back. We, nobody, she was taken from her, her, her family she was taken from her life. She was taken from the community of Paulding. We and no one could ever return her to anyone. But what we can do is try to heal some of the scars for the Eagleson family, for her sister Cheryl, for her other sister Meryl, and for the community of Paulding. And I'm hoping and praying that we can do so. Yeah, I, I do uh, commend you on your uh, service that you've done with, with Porchlight and your you know communication with Cheryl, as well as your desire for this case to be solved. And it's also a case that should be solved for the, the whole entire community because, as you said, it's a case that uh, impacts everybody. And it was 62 years ago. Uh, I'm sure they would all like some resolution for it to be solved. And, uh, yeah, I think that's um, what you guys have done is amazing. And I think they're kind of at that point where, yeah, the exhumation will be the next step. And whatever evidence you're able to, you know, gain from that is where the case will go. Uh, I think a lot of the people that you brought up are interesting individuals that could possibly be linked to the case. And, you never know. Like you said, with the Barbara Blatnick case, you know, the suspect wasn't even on the radar. So we've seen this before. Uh, we can only hope that uh, what you guys are doing and with the exhumation that they are able to recover the DNA that you guys are looking for. Right. And Bill, I really thank you for allowing me to come on and talk about Nancy's case. Uh, on today's episode and multiple episodes thank you for you know, these we, two episodes that we were able to do together and uh well and there was a lot of stuff that that we didn't get to you know there were we covered the case for about extensively on yes, true crime you can garage. go back and, and listen those are to episodes that, please true crime garage episodes 607 through 610 so we have about four hours of information on the case which is really in-depth stuff so if you're intrigued by the nancy eagleson case and want to learn more that's where you go to find that and also check out the uncovered.com website they're doing gangbusters Unreal. work over there and i'm very happy and privileged to have been able to meet rachel and some members of her great team over there and they are fully invested in the eagleson case as well as many other cases and one thing that uh i one passion I share with Rachel and some of her team members over there. She is like us, Bill. She's an Ohio person. And so she's passionate about these Ohio cases just as we are. And I got to give a big kudos to you and uh, thank you and tell you that you are awesome because 200 episodes is not an easy feat and you have pulled it off and done a great job doing so over the years. And I always enjoy coming on your show and I also enjoy listening to your show, especially when well, I'm not. Thank on. you, Nick. And I will uh, be a hundred percent upfront and say that uh, you've been my mentor since the beginning of this whole adventure. And, you know, it was always just keep that foot going forward and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, the next thing you know, it's 100 episodes, 150. And then, wow, I can't even believe it's 200. Uh, it's it's kind of mind boggling. And uh, your help along the way has been uh, really, I mean, priceless. And uh, I owe you more than you could imagine. And uh, I am so thankful for everything. You owe me nothing, my friend. Your friendship is more than enough. And I'm, I'm very thankful for your friendship and this connection that we've made over the years. Hey, people out there, follow me on Twitter, TCGNIC. Uh, I'm a good follow, I think. Uh, check me out, TCGNIC on Twitter. Bill, I love you, buddy. Congratulations on on the success of the show. And hey, you have to have me back for 300 Absolutely. Now, right? You know it. You know who the guest will be. All right, Nick. Thanks so much, man. <laughs> Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much again to Nick for joining me for these two very special episodes of Who Killed. Again, I wouldn't be here without you guys, the listeners, and probably out without Nick and the help of the captain, as well as some other players in the true crime world. And you guys know who you are. So thank you so much for playing a role in the success of the show. And again, a shout out to uh, Evergreen Podcasts and Killer Podcasts and uh, Slow Burn Media. So thanks a lot again for listening. If you would like to support the show, you can do so via Venmo with my username at bill-huffman-3 or just leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite shows because I do drop new episodes every Friday. So if you'd like to stay up to date on who I have coming up or, you know, the cases that I have covered, you can follow me on Twitter at billhuffman3. So again, thank you to Nick for taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule as well as you, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to me speak for 200-plus hours. So, pretty wild, and thank you again. As I said, I wouldn't be here without you. So, as always, until next time, stay healthy and be safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.